Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abe with Elias Randall. Eli, it is fall in Iowa, and it's like 75 degrees. I can't even believe it. You can't? Yeah, you're supposed to be hunting this week, but it's too too warm for you to go out. Yeah, I, I went over the weekend and uh, went with my good friend Brad, and we decided to bag it Sunday afternoon. It was going to be 75 all week and warm and windy, and we just said we're going to bag it for a few days and let it get back to normal temperatures. But I know my family really enjoyed uh, Halloween being, you know, 70 degrees, trick-or-treating in shorts and flip-flops. That was nice. That was really nice last night going out and not being freezing cold. That's one of my complaints with Halloween is we wait until it's 30 degrees outside and then put costumes on and go wander around our neighborhood. We could do that in the summer when it's nice out. What'd your kids go as? My daughter went as a witch and my older son went as a cheetah. Nice. So my girls, London was a police officer and she was going to arrest monsters. Good for her. I told her to put some people in jail. I said, you better put them in jail. She goes, no, dad, I'm only giving warnings tonight. She was, she was only giving warnings. How does she know that? <laughs> I said it to her, but then oh. she's like, I'm just giving warnings. And then uh, Blakely went as uh, Ladybug from uh, The Miraculous Show, which is like a British cartoon. So cool. They're kind of into it. But, you know, one of the things that's happened this year and everybody's aware of it is inflation's kind of been the forefront, front and center for most people, most families. Most people have realized their homes went up in value. Interest rates are going up because of inflation. Their grocery bills more. Gas is more. Although I did hear today that gas is like a dollar per gallon cheaper than it was like six months ago. So that's good. There's some good news with inflation, though, because the IRS for next year has decided to increase the amount that savers are eligible to contribute to both IRAs and uh, 401k, Roth IRA, et cetera, et cetera, 403Bs, 457 plans for savings. And, you know, when I when I saw this article come out and talk about this, it went back to one of the things that you've been telling people one of the best ways to take advantage of this downturn is to increase your contribution limits. And if somebody was already maxing out their plan, that became difficult to do. Yep. But, you know, now people can follow your advice, Elias, next year and start planning now to max out their retirement type plans because of these increased contribution limits. Yeah. And these are to me fairly significant, um, 401k contributions for next year going up $2,000 and anyone who can afford to save an additional 2000 bucks in your 401k for the next, however many years, it's probably a good idea. You're probably going to be happy you did that and then get that money invested um, and the other cool thing, and this is probably better for younger people who maybe aren't able to max out a 401k, the IRA contribution limits went up $500. So that's another base. If you do monthly contribution right now, if you do 500 months, you'll max it out at 6,000 for people under 50, it's going to be 6,500. So if you think about it, that's a whole nother contribution that you could make. So that could be, you know, that could really be impactful over, uh, over the long term of your investing career. Well, also, if you're over 50, your 401k limits now 30,000. That's a big deal. Yeah, you get a, a $7,500 catch-up contribution. And if you're over 50, you do 7,500 into those IRAs, Roth IRAs. 
one of the things people should be thinking about is if you're, I think you hit it on the head, if you're doing like an automatic investment plan, which most people do. I mean, they're doing an automatic investment plan into a 401k or a monthly systematic into an IRA or Roth IRA. Start planning now to make sure you max it out starting in January. And if you don't, it's not the end of the world. You'll have until, you know, the end of the year to, to max it out. But a lot of people forget about this until the last minute. It's better to just start planning now for maxing it out next year. So I think if if you've got a IRA contribution of uh, sixty five hundred, I think that's five thirty three a month, five forty one sixty six a month. So if you're doing five hundred now, you need to increase your contribution forty one dollars and sixty six cents to increase that next year. So I think those are really good for American savers. I think it's the number one way to take advantage of inflation, take advantage of a down market. People that made contributions last month, right now they feel happy with what they did. We've had a little bit of a market rally. Whether it's a bear market rally or you know whether it's something more, more meaningful is kind of yet to be determined. But at the end of the day, in 10 years, I think they're gonna look back and be happy that they made the extra contribution and got some money going when the market was at a relative low, low point to where it was you know, a year ago. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I actually, so the other day I was having a conversation with someone and of course I've been getting asked this more frequently this year than a lot of years, but well, I mean, obviously recently, um, when, okay, so when should I invest some money? A few different people, they have extra cash. When should I, when should I invest? When's the bottom? Well, unfortunately I don't know. I wish I knew that. Um, but there is a certain level of, to me, when the market's down 20 to 25%, like it has been recently, you almost kind of need to convince yourself, like, isn't that good enough for me? Like, instead of getting greedy and, okay, I'm going to see if it goes down another 15% before you deploy some cash. Maybe just put together a plan to get some in now and get the rest in as you go. Like if you want a dollar cost average in, you can probably make a good argument for that now. But even if you were to make a lump sum investment and the market's down 20% or more, like isn't that good enough? So shouldn't it be? I, I agree. But personally, I have a decent cash position because I sold some assets and I did invest all my money at one time. What I did is I've been investing it basically weekly, like I always do, just larger chunks of money weekly. And the reason is I didn't want to just dump it in at one time based upon the volatility in the market. And I was prepared to invest it at a higher price if I had to, but I still wanted a little ammunition. I want more, you know, bullets in the chamber, as I call it, like we need a few in the chamber just in case it goes down another 30% so I could be opportunistic. Yeah. I'm not really trying to time the market. I'm dollar cost averaging, willing to take a higher price just so I can keep some bullets in the chamber. And this is actually the strategy we've done with clients basically since March that have lump sums of money. You know, how much, yeah. do you, how much do you have? We had a client send us a significant check. We said, well, let's just do it over the next five months. Some might be higher, some might be lower. They bought five different prices. It's gonna average out to be pretty nice. They bought some in June, some in July, August, September, October. So they took advantage of that September low versus just dumping it all in after the market rallied 10 or 10 ish percent, I think it was in June, you know, if they put it in then, which is when they, we got the money, 
not that they'd be unhappy, but now their account's down again after they gave a chunk of money at the beginning of the year. So I think just using that dollar cost averaging strategy and keeping a few bullets in the chamber, you know, isn't a bad idea. But if you just want to lump sum it, you can do that too. I mean, there's not a right or wrong. It's personal preference. Yes, and it is. I think the point is, is just decide, decide how you're going to do it. But especially people of us, if you're under a certain age, like if you're not retired and you have extra cash, just figure out a plan to get it invested. Well, don't and wait, you, don't wait and wait and wait for the bottom. As you know, I have cash on the sideline potentially for a different purchase. That's not stock market related. Well, yeah, but if yeah, if you have so that's cash for also, something you're planning on buying, you well, don't want to invest that. It's a double-edged sword because I don't know if I'll buy it. But at the same time, I'm I'm approaching it like I would tell a client to approach it. Yeah, I plan on buying this, but it's not a guarantee. So I can't put that money to risk in a market. And that's how a client should look at their money too. Like if you know you have a significant purchase coming, even though it's a good time, don't go put your money in the market. Just sit on the sideline. You can buy a great short-term CD right now and just sit on the sideline. The money you put in the market, you have to feel committed. It's not leaving here for five years. Yeah, at minimum. Yeah, yeah. if you can't do it for five years, you shouldn't do it for five minutes, seriously, because you're, you're just, we don't know what's gonna happen. Um, one of the things though that's been interesting, and this has happened um, with people I know here just recently, not recently, fairly recently, I've had, you know, I'm 44. So I'm getting to the point where people I've known for the last 20 years are getting concerned about retirement. They're like, wait a minute, I'm going to be 50 soon. You know, 40, when you get 50, 45, you're like, man, I've worked for 20 years. Retirement might be 15 or 20 away. And people wake up and they're like, man, maybe I'm not ready. And we had a situation here this week where someone came in and didn't feel like they were ready. Frugal, yeah. making good income. And we did a financial plan for them. And they're actually, based on their lifestyle, well on track. And there were some financial decisions they were trying to make, but they were paralyzed because they didn't know if they were on track or not. We were able to deliver the good news and say, hey, things look good. You should pay off the student loan. You should do X with this money to get you in a better financial spot. And had, she, had this person not done the financial plan, that's not the decision they would have made. Yeah, well, they would yeah. have investment, which wouldn't have been wrong, but maybe it wouldn't have been as optimal for their, you know, individual situation. And that, yeah. And still guessing on what they should do or what they want to do. And most people are guessing if they haven't done a financial plan. I mean, only 27% of the people have done financial plans. So 73% of the population is guessing yeah, what they should do in retirement. You think about that. And there's, there's a study that's out there that 27 people are percent of the people are confident in their retirement. Yeah. It's the 27% of the people that have done a financial plan. And I know how many subscribers and listeners we have to this show. I would guess that less than 27% of the people listening to this have a financial plan. Well, yeah. Our, yeah. Our data is going to be, it's, it's going exactly to be the same as so whatever I guess that, the normal data is. Right. That's our pitch today. If you haven't done one, go to our website, btwellshow.com, sign up to get a financial plan. See if you're on track to accomplish your goals. We'll help kind of make the help you make the decisions how to spend your money. But what got me thinking about this is, you know, we get articles by our desk every day. And this one had the things you should do 10 years from retirement. So one of the things a financial plan does is it gets you thinking about all these things. But there's really six major things you have to do to prepare for retirement. And if you think you're going to do it two years before retirement, 
that's not going to work. You're, it is what it is. Two years is enough time to prepare. So if you're going to retire at 60 and you're 50, you better start preparing now. Really, the time to prepare was 30 years ago. But 10 years, you still have some time left to get things in order and get things lined up. You do. And this first one that we have listed here, evaluate your savings. You know, that ties in with the contribution limits we were just talking about. So the first question, are you saving as much as you could be? Have you increased your contributions? And then the catch-up contributions, which we just talked about in the first segment. But being able to contribute a max of, what was it? It was 30000 If you're over 50, it's thirty. If you're over 50, you can contribute 30000 to a 401k. If you're 50 and not on track and you can max it out at 30000 that may be a way to get yourself to your goals over 10 years. It might it's be your only way. going to help. Absolutely. Because even without growth, you're going to put in $300,000 over a 10-year period. That should do pretty well in the market over the long term. Well, and you're not going to take it all out at once either. Correct. Like, you know, right. You'll have time to let it grow. And we tell people or have the discussion with them that just because you're retired doesn't mean the growth of your money's over. You know, people equate time horizon to retirement age. You have to get conservative. I, you know, my time horizon is short. No, it's not. It's really as long as you're going to live. Your time horizon isn't, man, I retired. Life is over from a financial standpoint. You're going to have to make a last 20, 30 years in retirement. So I think evaluating savings is one. Number two is identify your, your retirement income sources. I like to think about income and retirement really two different sides of the equation. You have your guaranteed income sources, the ones we know are coming in. So that would be pensions, Social Security. If you bought like a single premium immediate annuity that is paying you an income stream, something that the income's not going to go away, it's not going to go down, it's going to stay the same or increase. Okay. So you have guaranteed income sources. Then on the other side of the ledger, I think about your, your savings vehicles. That could be a 401k, a Roth IRA, any type of investment account, could be CDs, whatever, that the income is variable. I mean, you could get income from it, but we really don't know what the performance is going to be. And you need to add those up and say, well, what is my income coming in? Do I think I can make it in retirement? What should my budget be? It's one of the things the financial plan does for people. But what's interesting is, I can have husband and wife come in here, Elias. They each have Social Security checks of $2,000 and a pension of 1000 bucks, so 5000 a month. So guess how much they want to spend in retirement? At least 5000 5000 a month. And let's yeah. say they have a quarter million dollars in an investment account. And we do a financial plan. Guess what their probability of running out of money is going to be? If high. you're going to get, yeah, if you're going to, if you have 5000 to spend from guaranteed income sources, and you're spending you don't 5, really need month. your investment money. Well, you do, just not day one. People overlook this. If you're spending 5000 a month day one, that's like 8000 a month in 20, 25 years. Your pensions and your Social Security and stuff aren't going to keep up the cost of living. So all that savings money becomes your hedge against future inflation. It does. Yep. And people don't think about that. And that's why I like to have two different sides of the equation, run a financial plan and say, well, Mr. Client, even though I know you have $50,000 coming in today, realistically, maybe you should be spending 43000 a year because 
that's what the financial plan tells you is sustainable based upon your investment assets and your income sources. Somebody at home can't figure that out. They could. I'm not going to say they can't. They could. But it's going to take a lot of math. Could spend a lot of time figuring it out. It, I know it would be a it would be a cumbersome exercise. That's for sure. We know that most people spend more time planning vacations than they do working on their finances, so they're not going to put the math and time in to figure that out, <laughs> right? I mean, let's be honest. That's what's going to happen. But they could delegate that to someone else. Twenty-seven percent of the population has, and they feel really okay. good about retirement. There you go. There you I'm go. on my twenty-seven percent kick today. Uh, evaluate your tax situation. You know, this, this kind of comes down to having what we call a bucket strategy, just not from an investment standpoint, from a tax standpoint, how to really make your distributions as, you know, tax advantage as possible. I mean, staying in tax brackets, maximizing tax brackets, just doing everything you can to pay the least amount in tax long-term. That's not a bad thing. That's the informed thing to do. It is. And that's, probably something a lot of people should be leaning on one, their advisor to a CPA. And I think the best case scenario is when the professionals you work with, your advisor and your CPA have a professional relationship and they can help come up with a plan for you that works on both sides, right? Because we're the, you know, we're the investment professionals, your, your CPA and your accountant, that's going to be your tax professional that really understands the tax laws and how to take advantage of that. So that's probably the best case scenario is you have, you delegate that to uh, both people and they're helping you in concert. The best outcomes that we have for clients are when we have their CPA involved in the equation and we're working together because we're really trying to, you know, the CPA is trying to maximize the tax situation for them. We're trying to double check that and make sure we're not missing out on you know, we didn't do too much in Roth conversions and now we have to pay more in Medicare premium. We're kind of double checking that. We work together to, to come up with a plan and get a very, very, very good outcome for our individual clients. If you're 10 years away, you probably have to set a date for retirement. That's probably important. Like what date do you want to retire? It doesn't mean that you have to. What I like to talk to people about, what age would you like to retire? Not the age you think you have to retire. Cause a lot of people come in here. Oh, I'd really like to retire at 59, but, but I think I have to work till 67. Well, let's run the plan and see. And if you want to retire at 59, don't you owe it to yourself to kind of figure out what it takes to get there. I mean, I, we do this for young clients who don't know how much to save. They're trying to have a balancing act between savings, family responsibilities, rental properties, well, we quantify what they need to save for retirement, and then the rest they can decide to do what they want want to with. They don't get paralyzed by this. Hey, what should I do? Um, right. But that all starts what, with what having. What should a I date. do? How much? All those questions. And then, and then, you, and then you know if you're saving too little or too much. Which I don't know that it's really technically possible to save too much, but you know, if you're really making a good income and you're maxing out your accounts, do you really need to save somewhere else? I mean, you could, it might not be necessary though. Well, you know, that's a good point. That's a double-edged sword because it depends on your lifestyle and your income. Yeah. There are some clients or people that we know that max out all their 401ks, backdoor Roth IRAs. If they just do that, that will not be enough for them to retire how they want to retire. 
That is true. So yeah. that I don't want people to blank and say, well, if I max out these vehicles, I'm good. That's not necessarily true. It all depends on what kind of income level you have. In fact, you know what we should do sometime? We should create a chart that says if you maxed out your 401k from 25, 30, 35, 40 in your IRA contributions, this is how much income you could potentially expect in retirement. I think so it'd you're be saying if you people. max out both of those from the time someone started working? Well, no, just have oh, the different, different ages. ages. Like if you started at 40 or you started oh. at 50 to let people open their eyes because some people think that maxing these out is like the, it's going to give you a good retirement. Doesn't mean it's going to give you the lifestyle you want. All yeah, that, that would be an interesting exercise, especially if, to see what, what it would be if someone started doing it like 25 years old. The numbers would probably be crazy. I don't well, know how many 25-year-olds can max an IRA and a 401k. I think that would be the there's problem. There's probably some out there. Yeah, I, I mean, someone made 45000 they'd be jacking 22500 in there plus another 6500 That's kind of like the fire movement. You'd have That's to what, live at your mom and dad's house to do it. But don't they? They probably do. <laughs> yes. I'm just No, if I you're mean, only making fifty grand, you're maxing out both those, you have to be living somewhere. Like at your parents' yeah, house. You that, can't do it without And that's not a bad thing. I mean, if you don't have a family and you're being frugal and you're living with mom and dad saving a bunch of money, I actually think most parents would probably be pretty proud of that. Yeah, probably. Be like, well, we're making good I mean, decisions. As long as you do your own laundry and your own dishes and cook your own food, why long, would they care? As long as it doesn't turn into a stepbrother situation. Yeah. In fact, I had a friend the other day who has a brother living with a family member. And the brother goes, it's going to be like stepbrothers. He'll be there at 40. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the person listening will know who it is. Uh, number five, evaluate your debt. You know, an important thing going in retirement is try to not have any debt. You know, ideally, you have your house paid for. No credit cards. You're paying cash for things once you get to retirement. Just helps the monthly cash flow that you're going to have to outlay to kind of keep things going. Yep. So in the last one, consider your retirement lifestyle. We touched on this a little bit, but I think this is a very important, this is almost the most important thing to consider. What are you going to do with your time, right? And then define kind of what that, what's that going to cost, how much you're going to need to spend, but I think as people transition, and we see it sometimes, people almost don't, people that can retire, but they don't want to because they're not sure what they will do, or maybe they really enjoy their career and their job. Um, I, I know of a few people who have transitioned into retirement over the last year, and I'll say I'm very proud of kind of their take on this, their retirement lifestyle, because they're doing all of the things that they want to do. They're spending the amount of money that they said that they were going to spend, which is sustainable for the long term. But it's just nice to see people really enjoying it and doing it kind of the way that they laid out going into it. Elias, we touched briefly on it earlier, but inflation's been good for your traditional savings type vehicles. You know, the rise of high yield savings accounts is back. You know, get some of these places are paying over three percent. I, I heard today that a uh, online bank's going to pay three percent on their high yield savings account next month, um, and CD rates are on the rise. I thought maybe we just talk about the general differences, where they fit, where they don't fit, what the pros and cons are, 
maybe of each because some people maybe you haven't even heard of a high yield savings account. I think most people have. I think most people maybe are more familiar with the high yield checking accounts where the banks offer you a high interest rate to use their debit card X amount of times a month. They limit how much you have in there. But now savings accounts are actually coming back into favor a little bit. Yeah. So high yield savings account, kind of the first thing, what, what would this be a suitable uh, what money would be suitable for this? Probably certainly an emergency fund. Any money that you need to have as liquid cash, you don't want any risk on it because it's for when your vehicle breaks, your water heater goes out, you have to replace an appliance at your house. Um, high yield savings account is a good place to park your emergency fund. You're never going to make a lot of money on it, but you can at least make a little bit for just having your money sit there and when you need it, it's still liquid, it's still available, it hasn't fluctuated in value, so you can use it when you need to. So that's probably a good for a good place to consider for your emergency fund. Good point. And I, you're spot on on where to use it. But people see the CDs and you know, we've seen some CD rates 4% on a short-term basis. And people are like, "Well, maybe I should do that." And I'm not saying you shouldn't. But just know how long you need to have it tied up, like you said. If you can tie the money up for six or 12 months and you know you're not going to need it, the CD might be an appropriate option for you to get into. Um, I know we saw earlier a 12-month CD at a little over 4%, some six-month CDs at 39 I mean, those are attractive rates. Um, the difference between the CD is if you're going get to get out, there's going to be some kind of penalty if you need it before the term is up. Um, and right now the ones we've been seeing that are popular are 12 month or six month CDs strictly because most people can tie it up that long. And I think about your emergency fund scenario. Most people that are really responsible with that emergency fund, they haven't touched it in like three years and they've had to have it in cash. What a person could do is actually utilize, let's say their emergency fund was six months, right? And it was $30,000. I don't know. I'm making a number up. They can maybe put like 15,000 into a three month CD or a six month CD and leave the 15 liquid to get a little bit higher rate of return. Knowing that they had a really bad emergency, the interest penalty is going to be a little, it's not going to be a lot. And more than likely, they're not really going to need the money in the next six months. So those are some strategies you can think about when it comes to, hey, should I do the high yield savings account? Should I do the emergency fund? What makes most sense? It doesn't have to be all or none. You could, it's, it's kind of like doing a CD. You could do a CD ladder. You have a three month, a six month, a nine month and a 12, but then have money coming due all the time. But man, if you can make 4% of your cash right now, it's a pretty good solution. You know, if you don't need as much liquidity, but if you know you're going to buy a car next month, or you know, you're going on the vacation in three months, high yield savings account is where it's going to be at for you. It is. And you know, what's really been, so ever since we've, had access to CDs that pay 4%. This is probably should not have shocked me, but it has. People are excited to buy a CD that pays 4%. Because we, right? we haven't had yields like that on those for a long time. But just think about, you know, 30 years ago, a 4% CD, no one would have purchased that because that would have been low for the standards back then. So it's been so long since you could get any sort of yield on safe money. It's like people's eyes light up and it's, I'm thinking, well, it's only 4%, but it feels really good to people. Do you remember like six to 10 months ago, they said the 60, 40 portfolio was dead. 
Remember those articles? Like, oh, yeah, this is- last year there was yeah. a lot of articles about that. Yeah. Why? Because bond yields were so low. If somebody has cash today or is reallocating from a growth portfolio to like a 60-40 portfolio, I don't know. You, you have to determine whether that's right for you. It's getting easier. Yeah, the You're getting bond, bond yields of 4%. You're from two to four. Same credit quality or better. I mean, it's going to get easier to manage moderate to moderately conservative portfolios and let those people make money. And the reason people are excited about 4%, well, it's 4% without much risk. Your real risk in a CD is liquidity risk. It's liquidity liquidity yeah, risk, it. it's in, and then it's, in, it's uh, inflation risk. Like, it's money going up. But that's why you do it for short term. But if your goal is to make 9% in the stock market, you can make 4 guaranteed at a bank. It's a pretty solid like return for your cash money. Yeah. And long term, so. you're going to get your butt kicked. But yes. short term, it, it's a good opportunity for people. So I think I'm going to be interested. We should probably go back and look at the 64. Po- I'm looking right here. Kiplinger, January 25th, 2022. The 60, 40, 40 portfolio is dead. Well, I don't know. Is it? Maybe we I bet we're going to see articles next year about the resurrection. Oh, they've, they've I actually been, already seen. Yeah, a they've been coming out. The outlook for sixty forty is really good right now because rates are going up. So people I don't know what the sixty forty portfolio at sixty percent stock, forty percent bond, kind of consider the balance portfolio. Yeah, and it's like a staple, right, in our business. How many new prospects do you meet with, and they have a sixty forty mix? A lot. A lot. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people just kind of default to that. I don't know why, but well, I, I mean, don't know how that ever happened. For some people, it's exactly the right portfolio they should have. Mm-hmm. Others, it's not. But the way to really find out what the right portfolio is, to nail down a financial plan, go through some of the things we talked about earlier in this show, and hey, what what's important to know ten years from retirement? What I'm going to tell somebody is important to do ten, fifteen, twenty years from retirement is get a plan, be part of the twenty seven percent that's confident about their retirement future, and not the seventy three that's not. With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Behind the Wealth. If anybody's looking for help, you can go to btwellshow.com, click get started. We'd love to help you with the financial plan. Elias, do you have any other closing comments? Uh, everyone, thank you for listening. It was another, another fun episode to film, so have a good day. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.